Welcome to the Ecarosphere, a podcast about sustainable mobility and entrepreneurship, sponsored by Ecara.com. Ecara is a sustainable mobility platform built to reduce pollution and help people utilize sustainable vehicles. While other car services offer last-minute in-personal solutions, the eCar app allows riders and operators to fully customize every aspect of their ride, down to the desired mood, music, pricing, and stops along the way. eCar attracts emission savings and air quality. We'll leave the planet free for every ride completed. Here are the hosts, Sanal and Rock. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dr. Shelley. Hello, Rock. Thank you for this opportunity and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Shelley, uh, please tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So let's see. I am a former medical school professor specializing in environmental public health disparities. So working in the e-mobility and transportation sector, I bring that perspective of public health, thinking about the social determinants of health. And those are simply things that impact the way one moves, lives, experiences life. Uh, So factors such as uh, socioeconomics, your income, health status, the environment, as well as your access to fresh fruits and vegetables, for instance, good paying jobs. So that's the lens that I bring to this conversation around e-mobility and really accelerating EV adoption, particularly multimodal EV adoption. That's that's so great to hear. I mean, that, you know, you have been into this environmental friendly business and, uh, you know, you're helping people with uh, knowing more about what these things are. Uh, Please tell us a bit about your agile team that you work with. Sure. So I guess I'll take a step back and, and talk about a couple of different organizations that we have founded. So one is EV Hybrid Noir. EV Hybrid Noir is the nation's largest network of diverse EV drivers and enthusiasts. So we have thousands of members across the United States, Canada, Europe, continent of Africa, Southeast Asia, as well as the Caribbean. So collectively what we're doing is to advance equitable e-mobility solutions so that all communities can benefit. So we essentially have chapters where members are aligned according to cities and you know are continuing to grow out the efforts to make sure that we're reaching diverse communities. And for us, diverse communities, racial ethnic diversity, young professionals, women, the retiree community, refugee and immigrant communities, the LGBTQI community, and more. So we're all about widening the tent and making sure that all communities have access and awareness of the changing transportation paradigm. Now, the second organization is EV Noir. And so EV Noir is a technology e-mobility consulting company. We focus on e-mobility best practices, as well as e-mobility diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so the types of partners or clients we work with are everyone from auto manufacturers, OEMs, to charging infrastructure companies, transit authorities, municipalities, we work with universities as well as you know a host of other partners as well. So essentially, we are working with them to help them craft and execute the electrification strategies or the electrification roadmap. Sometimes we're helping do market research to help them launch a new product, and uh, you know we can do a, a whole host of different 
different things. So that's kind of, I guess, what we will focus on in terms of just our conversation around the perspective of those two organizations, as well as, you know, what our team is doing. Oh, one other thing I want to say is that, uh, you know, our, it's really important to um, our organization that our team members are reflective of the communities that we serve and that we work in, and that they have that uh, level of insider experience and understanding and knowledge. So when you look at the team makeup, you'll see that it's very diverse from, um, you know, all different ages, age range, ranges, backgrounds, uh, you know, racial and ethnic makeup. So we really find that that's an important part of the conversation. And many of us, including myself, are EV drivers as well. So that definitely brings a whole nother lens to the conversation. So I got a quick question. You, um, this is a, this is, this is, I'm a nerd, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to divert okay. drastically. <laughs> my, my first, <laughs> my, my first kind of question goes into what you said earlier about um, low-income housing or low-income areas, and you mentioned health kind of in the same sentence. Um, one of the things that we just kind of discovered to do is we we actually, we own our own platform, we build our own software, but we actually put together some uh, hardware and software that actually takes air quality every seven seconds, and um, we actually just kind of determine how good or bad that air quality is, and then we kind of show it to so it what it looks like on a map well we have kind of found that if you look at this map that we have some of the higher particle matter pollutant type areas are some in the low low income areas just consistent so my question to you do you feel like bad health and low income areas are kind of somehow work together they are. So the biggest predictor of health and well-being is your zip code, unfortunately. And what we find based on uh, research is that African-Americans are 70% more likely to live in, in communities that are overexposed to air pollution, regardless of you know income status. So yes, that is a problem. And we need more technology like yours to really be able to monitor you know, what's happening. But one of the things that we know we can do in order to address that issue is to utilize multimodal clean transportation. So frontline communities in these different communities who are disproportionately impacted by air pollution stand to benefit the most from this clean transition. But what we find is that they are often least likely to know that this clean trans transition is even happening or that it's coming or that there's an opportunity if they are looking at personal vehicles that they're electric vehicles that are, aren't just $100,000 cars. There's many right. that are like $6,000, $7,000, dollars vehicles that can really get somebody to and from you know, their employment to and from school or university or wherever they need to go, you know, medical appointments. So right. that's one of the, definitely something that's really important to both of our organizations to really make sure that we're uh, creating messaging and communications campaigns that speak to a cross sector of consumers. But we also know that in terms of dealing with Black, Latinx communities, Indigenous communities, that messenger matters and what the messenger actually says is also critical. So we, it's important that we tailor a message to these different audiences because the needs are different. And the mm -hmm. other piece of it too is that they need to see people 
who are reflective of their communities utilizing the technology. So whether it's an e-scooter, a heavy, uh, you know, a local bus, electric bus that's coming to their community, or that individual uh, vehicle pickup truck, they need to be able to see folks in their community utilizing that technology uh, and, you know, making it work for them. Right. Right. There was a guy on our show, his name is Captain Alan Graham. He has a company in Washington, D.C., and they're using the platform to really move people in electric cars. And they're delivering, you know, marijuana and all types of stuff on electric scooters. You know, that's just kind of what it is. But what, what's exciting about that is that here's a minority entrepreneur. Uh, the company's called Fair Rider. They wanted to bring, you know, a really low cost fare to some of the areas in D.C. where people couldn't afford it. And these these people are blessed to be able to, you know, go places at a low rate in Teslas, which is which I think is pretty cool. What what um, Fair Rider? We know them well. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Beautiful. What would you say to people who may not necessarily under? And we kind of allude to it, some of the issues. But what? And 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 the and the audience is broad. But what would you say to people that may not necessarily understand the why behind this uh, movement into electrification? What What would be like? What, what would you say to? Oh, I was like. I would say, where should I begin? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so one of the things around electrification, I think that's not commonly addressed, but we all always um, start off conversations and presentations and trainings talking about it. This is that you can't talk about like electrification in the present or future without talking about what has happened in the past to really um, influence where we are conversation. So when I say that, what I mean is that you can't talk about mobility and transportation without talking about discrimination and exclusionary practices that were facilitated by federal governments, uh, communities, local state agencies. And so mm -hmm. things like uh, redlining, uh, se separate obviously, but equal uh, transportation. So when you start thinking about this conversation, if you start at Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, the Supreme Court decision where separate transportation was the law of the land, and you speed that up to the civil rights movement where we're looking at mobility and the Montgomery bus boycotts, the fact that communities of color couldn't live in certain neighborhoods, they couldn't buy homes because of uh, redlining, and then you know discriminatory loan processes for automobile purchases. So when we did actually purchase an automobile, that was like a statement piece. And so mm -hmm. they're thinking about just um, in terms of like communities and disinvestment. So uh, the National Highway uh, Transportation and Safety Fund uh, put uh, highways, and highways and freeways through thriving communities of color, um, disenfranchising communities, and then you know, relegating uh, companies to move out to the suburbs. And so that led to the further dis disinvestment of communities. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that we're seeing 70% of African-American communities and other people of color, or rural areas being overexposed and just being disproportionately burdened by overexposure to air pollution. That's because these communities just didn't come to be. They were intentionally 
created and designed. So when you have communities wow. that are living in transportation corridors, when you have communities that are living next to the manufacturing plants um, and uh, uh, refineries, it's no surprise that they have all these different health problems that are compounded by overexposure to transportation emissions. So wow. in order to have the conversation about what we need to do today and what we can do in terms of restorative justice and opportunities for these communities and educating uh, communities about alternate transportation methods that won't accelerate respiratory illnesses and asthma and different cancers, you have to really start having that conversation. And the folks who who are working in that space need to understand the cultural context and the institutional uh, historical and inequities that have created this environment where there's distrust and, um, you know, it, that needs to really frame some of the conversations around what we do next. Right. Wow. That's, uh, see, that's, that's crazy. That's big stuff. So really since, the 1800s, you know, Carl Benz came out with the first combustion car somewhere around 1856. Or so. so since then, minorities have been literally pushed away and cut out and, you know, not fairly treated as it pertains to transportation. Absolutely. Right. I didn't, I, wow. Yes. And just think wow. about, um, so the African-American community, so, um, the gentleman, it was um, a German uh, C-suite level uh, individual in the 1930s. He realized that uh, the sales of Cadillac were decreasing significantly, right? And so what they came up with was that they realized that, hey, there's he, this individual, and I'll probably find his name and send it to you after him. But anyway, he came up with a marketing strategy, basically like, hey, why don't we market uh, these Cadillacs to high net worth African-American individuals. So they, at the time, were targeting um, celebrities in like Hollywood, the music industry. And so that idea to target that market segment literally saved the Cadillac brand. And you can look this up. This is like um, probably like a little known fact. But at the time, African-American consumers couldn't just go to a dealership and purchase a vehicle. The dealers wouldn't sell to them. So they often had to have somebody who was white or um, another, I guess, deemed acceptable race go in and purchase the vehicle for them. But um, the, the point of the conversation is, is that um, there's been a lot of challenges and inequities in, in the transportation and mobility sector and space. And so that lens uh, or that perspective informs people's experiences today. Right. Wow. That's that's interesting. So interesting uh, history. Have you heard of Frederick Douglass Peterson? Uh, well, I've heard of Frederick, Frederick Douglass, but now tell me Frederick, more about Frederick Douglass Peterson. Frederick <laughs> Douglass Peterson was the first African-American that had actual that built a car and had a you know he competed competed with ford in um you know? dayton he was from dayton yeah yeah yes in, in, mm -hmm. in 1800s and just got really you know the story kind of goes is you know he just got outfunded you know couldn't keep up with you know the forge of the world and you know here you have a, a and I, I think about that all the time like what what if that 
company would have grown with the Ford, you know, over the last, you know, hundreds of years or so. Wow, we would have a, you know, a mon, you know, an African owned, African American owned like manufacturer. It could be a worldwide powerhouse if they would have got funded. It's just that's true. So crazy. That is that it is. Yeah. And actually, the the gentleman who saved Cadillac, his name was Nicholas Drace Stat. And, mm. uh, you know, they, they kind of say, like, he's the person that um, broke down some of the barriers to selling Cadillacs to um, diverse communities. Right. You mentioned uh, a minute ago redlining. A lot of people may not yes. know listening. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on redlining? Sure. So redlining was a practice that was uh, just uh, really by the Federal Housing Authority. And that was a, a process that was used to determine who was worthy, who was credit worthy, who was worthy to get uh, home loans, essentially. So if every community had these maps and the maps basically were red or green. And then there are usually a couple other colors in there, but red was bad, green was good. And it just so happened that the red lines were all in Jewish communities, African-American communities, Latinx communities, and communities of color, where the green communities were in uh, predominantly white um, communities at that time. And so that process lasted for about 30 to 40 years until the mid-1960s when uh, different federal laws were passed to, to end discriminatory, discriminatory practices in lending in banking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we still see some of these issues today with home loans where, you know, African-Americans were, were uh, getting these predatory lendings before um, mm -hmm. in the last, uh, when the market crashed in 2008, there was, you know, that, that issue has still plagued uh, the, the community or consumers. So there's, we're still feeling repercussions of those times. But essentially- right. The redlining system created these neighborhoods of disvestment, which ended up, uh, you know, African-Americans couldn't move in certain neighborhoods. They couldn't move to the suburbs and take part in the GI Bill as other communities could. So they ended up in these neighborhoods because they were kind of pigeonholed. They couldn't move. And mm -hmm. then, but at the same time, we had obviously thriving neighborhoods. We had everything that we needed in those communities. So whether you were a physician, an attorney, or uh, a bus driver, you all lived next to each other and you had the resources that you needed. You had your hospital, you had your schools, um, because that was just how segregation was. And so we figured out a system to be successful, even uh, in spite of. Right, right. Yeah, no, no. What, what was the what was the motivation behind EV Hybrid No More? Nora? What, what what made you build that out? Yeah, great question. So the motivation was that there was no community. So mm. um, I don't know how how you may experience things, but when you find something or you try something, whether it's like a restaurant or probably a restaurant is a great a good example. You want to share that experience with other people or you want to learn about like, hey, like what are the good restaurants in my community or, or you know, I'm interested in a certain topic. Where are the people like me who are interested in this topic? So being an EV driver and an owner several years ago, I was looking for that space or that community that I could, I, I could go to and ask questions about the technology or how to, you know, 
manage my vehicle? What are the things that I need to know going into this? Are there other people like me around here driving a Nissan Leaf, trying to figure out, you know, this EV, EV world? And so just realizing, like, I would go to um, different meetups and there might be one or two people of color in the space of 50 people or 100 people. And I was like, I know they're out there, but where are we? And so uh, obviously met Terry Travis and we were lamenting over the same issues. And we're like, you know what? Let's create our own community. Like we don't have a space. Let's create a space because we really want to make sure that we're able to share this opportunity and this information with other folks who are like-minded and or interested, but they just need to see and hear from people that have shared similar experiences and or that they they may trust. And so that whole EV hybrid noir concept was birthed. And also the other piece for me too was that I had taken an, an Uber that was a Nissan Leaf. And so I was like, what kind of car is this? And I knew it was mm-hmm. electric, but I didn't think it had the capacity or the range to, to be a ride share vehicle. And so I had a million questions for the driver. I'm sure he was ready to get rid of me and was glad when I finally got out of his car. But he didn't know that he started like a whole, you know, whole new opportunity, a whole new system in the community based on that that one shared ride experience. So those those are kind of the perspective that came to came to inform EV hybrid noir. Wow, that's that's powerful. First off, just to mm-hmm. park on that one thing for a second. So we we use these cars on a platform to move people and have ride experiences and then, you know, all Tesla. So mm-hmm. since we started, 97% of the people that actually ride with us have never been in an electric car before, ever. Mm-hmm. 95% of those people who actually have ridden with us more than two times say that all things considering their next purchase would be an electric vehicle. Right? So the yes. thing that you, the thing that you experienced is, it, it, it's awesome because really it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the manufacturer all the time. It, mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with the why behind what we're doing. And honestly, I used to work at Nissan mm-hmm. when they first came out with the leaf. Oh my God, it was horrible. Just, just horrible. <laughs> it was the first version of it, it was around, you know, the first version just wasn't that great. And they've since mm-hmm. then um, really, uh, really just done an amazing job with that car. But I wanted to ask you about this, uh, the new uh, uh, Nissan Aria. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel about that I car? like it. I do. I like it. I'm. It was, one of the things that excites me about the market is that there's a vehicle for like every budget, every brand loyalist, every, you know, kind of experience car techies, if you want something that's kind of very rudimentary and basic, there's something for you. If you want something a bit more luxurious, that's like just chock full of technology, there's something out there for you too. Uh, You know, so I think the more vehicles that come to market, the more vehicles that we can get to the market as use offerings, it just makes for a, um, a more robust ecosystem and allows people to, um, find something that will work best for their lifestyle as well as their budget. So sure. like, I'm excited about the Aria. I'm excited about the F-150 um, pickup mm. truck, which actually we did market research 
on, uh, you know, for Ford. So really excited to see what that does to the space, particularly when you think about like fleets, rural mm-hmm. communities, um, truck loyalists. So it's just a really an exciting time to be in this space just from for a whole number of different reasons. Right, right. Yeah, and no, I hope to. We, we're really excited about the opportunity to work with Ford here through the uh, Cowboys organization here in Dallas. I'm excited about that. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. Kunal, you had, uh, you had some questions. Let's get back to business. Sorry, I, I, I get off. That's uh, okay. It's exciting. This is an exciting conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling it's you. easy I to love, get sidetracked. <laughs> Well, I mean, as long as we are riding on an electric vehicle, I'm happy to get sidetracked as well. So, yes, exactly. I like that. Can I? I mean, yeah, it's it's been such a journey, and I mean, I I just had an opportunity to look into your profile, and you know, came to know that you actually pivoted from being a professor to being a director at uh, Georgia Department of Public Health mm-hmm. to further transitioning and being a co-founder of consulting firm. So I'm like, man, this is putting uh, from one form to another, which are all interesting roles, like professor, okay. Like uh, Georgia Department of Public Health, like, oh man, wow. And then co-founder of a consulting firm, I'm like, it's a dream. Uh, I mean, uh, would you like to talk a bit about that? Sure, sure. So. I- it, it, and thank you for, for sharing my resume with the viewers. So, that, uh, <laughs> so that just goes to show you that you can be an entrepreneur at any stage in your career. And for me, it was on uh, accidental entrepreneurship. So that I'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. But just to, to get back to your question, cannot be going from being a professor to being uh, an employee of the state. Uh, you know, employed at the will of the state and then having your own business is very interesting. But what I will say, because I know we only have so much time, is that I have been able to use every job, essentially every experience has kind of built up and ex- provided exposure to um, myself as to, well as to my team in terms of how to structure an organization, how to bring in the components of past employment opportunities that I had that I liked this arrangement or I like this benefits system or I like the, these different systems and operating um, systems to, to run a business. So I think having the ability to kind of go through life and go through some different job opportunities, um, have some negative opportunities as well. So that I don't want to paint a picture that it's all, it's been unicorns and rainbows, but uh, being able to take those uh, positives and negatives from the different experiences. So um, being a professor, the way um, we approach some of the work we do is based on uh, research methods and strategies that we utilize in academia, um, as well as thinking about engaging with key stakeholders from all different communities, knowing how to interact with folks at all different levels is something that you, you we learn going through academia as well as uh, through our training, but it's also something as a human that I'm just interested in, in talking to people. So whether it's the janitor, I'm saying good morning, or if it's the CEO, I say good morning and how is your day? So no person is better than one person to me. So just being able to like be grounded, 
being humble, um, uh, being willing to, to be embarrassed and listen and learn has really helped, I think, inform you know, the development of and launching of two organizations. Wow. I mean, hearing about all these, you know, I, I was like, you must be, I mean, there must be challenges that you're facing in the, in the consulting firm. It's, I mean, because, because, I mean, you're a leading firm, but there are, there are very few selected, you know, firms that actually think about a collective development towards electric vehicles. So, I mean, uh, what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing? Yeah, some of the challenges are, so we have been working in this space for quite a number of years, you know, focus on e-mobility best practice first, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, or e-mobility diversity, equity, and inclusion second. And so initially when, you know, people would hear the work that we were doing and they were like, why, why are you guys focused on that? You know, why is that? important or interesting and now obviously because everything that's happening at the federal level um you know new york a couple days ago just said that no more gas cars by 2035 and you know california had already gone in that direction so in in many places and spaces it's kind of been you've been like the lone wolf the lone shark and now people are like oh now i understand what you were talking about but um, at, at the same time, like we also have always, you know, extolled the, the, the public health benefits of the conversation. We've talked about the workforce and economic development opportunities. So where I would say we're unique in this space and unapologetic about what we focus on and how we focus on it and um, the target audiences that we focus on, because we really believe that we have the tools to be able to mitigate the impact of air pollution, particular particulate matter and transportation emissions. And so let's use those tools to help all communities benefit from it. So whether we are mitigating the impacts of air pollution and decreasing air pollution, whether we're helping people get to and from where they need to go, utilizing multimodal electrification, that's another benefit. Then you're also thinking about the financial savings that you know can mean individuals, the single dad or the retiree, the college student can have from utilizing an electric vehicle, all the way up to the workforce and economic development opportunities. So, like our organization was one of the organizations in a sense that benefited from workforce and economic development opportunities and e-mobility. But you know, when you think about what that infrastructure bill could actually do for entrepreneurship in the green sector and the green economy, there's just uh, you know, a myriad of ways that we can really engage new uh, you know, career paths, retool people's skill set, because obviously there, there's going to be some transition when it comes to uh, electrification. And that's a hard conversation sometimes to have, but it's a real conversation. And we need to be able to retool people's skill sets so that they can be able to benefit from this acceleration of green transportation. Yeah, I want to I want to park right there for a second because this is a big pet peeve of mine. Okay, first off, you know we talk about this this whole you know twenty thirty number, right? It's already twenty twenty two. We got eight years. Um, we got to reduce our our you know carbon production by fifty five fifty two percent. Let's just say fifty. There's 300 million registered, you know, gasoline vehicles in this country. We're about 2 million electric vehicles. So we got to go from 2 million to 300 million. Let's just say 30 million. 
let's say ten percent. Because right now we're 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 marching on one percent, right around three million vehicles. Now, my question is, you know more than probably me and everybody else the massive amount of infrastructure it takes to to make all that happen. It took us a hundred years to get to where we are, and now we got eight to flip it all around. Now we can do it. Because we're way more advanced than we were a hundred years ago. But just what what are you what are your thoughts on the infrastructure, the 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 new jobs, the new innovation? To me, I feel like there's a massive amount of opportunity that we're just not really seeing just yet. Yes, when you think about it, it's just it could be kind of overwhelming in terms of thinking about like all the different opportunities that could present themselves. So we have eight years is like the tip of the iceberg. So eight years is we will we'll do as much as we can within the next eight years, but it's really going to take public private partnership. It's going to take the government, state, local, federal infrastructure investment it's going to take, uh, you know, our educational system in terms of exposing young people to careers earlier in the in STEM and STEAM and in the green, you know, economy ecosystem. So I mean, it's really all about we've got to re- retool our approach to education, training, infrastructure, um, just investment, just kind of from the from the top down from the top to the bottom to the bottom to the top we have to do it and and it's going to take not just um what we call the uh, folks at the treetops to make the decision it's really going to really involve folks at the grassroots level to be able to help guide with these conversations with these investments with these um, you know job and economic and workforce development plans Mm -hmm. look like when you think about um you know being in the Southeast and even what's happening in Texas too around the EV industry. Mm. You know, our region, and I'll just say from, you know, North Carolina, Virginia down through Texas, um, Mm. that whole Southeast region is just on fire with opportunities around e-mobility. And we want to see that in other parts of the the United States. It's interesting. I feel like the e-mobility sector has, has the opportunity to be like the new age industrial revolution of the millennium Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. in in terms of like this is an opportunity for us to like really um, come back as being like a national manufacturing powerhouse Um, Mm -hmm. and you know creating and enhancing a new middle class or a new and even a new upper middle class Um, but there's so many opportunities that i think like you're right we have any we're at like at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what those opportunities look like, what those potential programs are like we've got. It's it's a nascent conversation that's going to like develop, I think, really quickly once you see like the financial investment that's going to come down. But one of the right. things that we want to be mindful of is that we don't want to create further divides in um, underrepresented or under-resourced communities or rural communities. We want to like, make some real investment so that like the mobility gap closes and doesn't widen. We don't want to facilitate what we call privileged mobility, where there's only the, the few of the the, um, mm-hmm. the haves continue to have and, and be able to, you know, really um, 
benefit from this uh, shift in transportation and it and just in the ecosystem right right yeah no it's a it's a massive amount of uh, think about the the electricians of the future you know there's we're we're not even close to the amount of um people and innovative ideas that we need in that space so just you know there's so much room to grow in that area and, and people to learn and to have jobs. There's going to be thousands yes. of jobs in the electrician space, yes. in that, in that, that electrical space. And I often and say think, this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, and just think many of these jobs are going to be jobs that people can have right out outside of high school. Um, mm-hmm. They may be able to do different, like a one year or a six month you know, or less or whatever it is, training program that puts them into like a, a solid, good paying job with benefits, with opportunity to grow, uh, get on the job training. So, you know, they may not need to go to college or they may, you know, decide I'm going to go to college and work full time, but there's definitely going to be a lot of different, um, what we call non-traditional employment opportunities and training opportunities, which, you know, is great because everything isn't for everybody. So there'll be folks who will go straight to college and go into the workforce or go to graduate school. And then there'll be other folks who will go to technical school or, or graduate from high school and, and go on to the mm-hmm. workforce. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, we, we want to see um, mobility operators. I, I, I strongly believe, you know, when we started at Ikara, it was like the only comparison that people really had was Uber and Lyft. It was like, well, you're an Uber and Lyft. Well, we're really not. Uber's vision is to have, you know, transportation like running water. Our vision is to reduce pollution and utilize electric vehicles. Total different vision. So I often say now that there's there's no first, there's no verses in this game. Even Even now that there's new rideshare companies that are coming online that are all electric i i wholeheartedly embrace this and want to help and i want to assist and want to network and want to build with these people because there is no versus in this game is we don't have that luxury i don't think right right <laughs> well tell me I, i'm curious like what uh, and not that I'm interviewing you but what was like the motivating factor for you to start ikara yeah, well, we, you know, I had, I was working with Apple at the time. Um, my business partner had went to work for Uber. We had came out of the car business around, you know, when, when they had the, the economic crash 2019 or 2009 in those days. So, uh, out of Apple and out of Uber, we just kind of merged with this thought of how to improve ride sharing. And we had this idea called Ride Brand where we were going to use gasoline vehicles and dealership uh um, inventory, some of the inventory they were using for some of their loaner car programs, and it was going to work. It was a great idea. It was, it, we did a pilot. It was super successful. And then I just realized that gasoline vehicles didn't have a future. There was no real long-term value. And I told my business partner, like, if you want to go do this and use gasoline cars, cool. You're going to make some money, but it's never going to be wealth for my grandkids, you know, my great grandkids. It's, it's just I'm not interested. And so I said, if we could do all electric, I'm in. And that day, that business turned to car, and we didn't even know how we were going to do it, but we just knew that there was a lot of, of opportunity. There was a there was no body really doing anything. There was a Tesla Loop in California. They were doing some stuff. Yes. 
uh, a few others sprinkled out at the time, but there was there was no competition to the degree where we had to worry. And so we just thought, well, if we just get in here and start canoeing through the woods, we would discover a lot of things, you know. Um, right. Yeah. You know, so and that's how we actually discovered uh, Bear Rider. We were, you know, they were like us. They were a group right. and, and they just wanted to operate and they didn't have software. And so we decided to share our software with them, like go to work, go do it. And that's how this whole, yeah, that's how this idea really kind of started to brush fire in us that, man, we could, you know, we started with zero, zero dollars and an idea. And now we can, you know, we built an entire platform that cost us several hundreds of thousand dollars that we can offer, you know, you know, operators in, in a week, you can have an app customized white labeled and ready to go in a few in a few weeks so um yeah that's how that started so that's amazing kudos to you yeah. all because we need more people with your vision helping to transition away from fossil fuel and uh, yes. to cleaner greener transportation so that's awesome yes 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 speaking of that i wanted to just throw this out there to your question a uh, question we we often think and say that you know we we believe people will will just kind of you know move over just because of the cost the cost to operate mm -hmm. you know that's that's kind of our secret sauce it's not really a secret I'm, you know hey it, the cost to operate electric vehicles is much less than gasoline we don't have the gasoline cost the or oil related type cost the maintenance cost what, what would you what's your thoughts on that you know I know that. I know there's, there's an argument that there's a high upfront cost for electrification and then the cost curve goes down. My argument is that if we get in now and start utilizing it, we, we can see those margins now, especially because now everything's inflated. Everything's higher right now. So we can yes. kind of see, see, kind of see yes. the margins now. So what are your thoughts around that whole cost curve thing from now? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a myth. That's a myth that we have since we debunked that myth about a year ago. So a year ago this time, the average cost of a new vehicle in the United States was like $35,000. And that's around the cost of uh, Toyota Camry, Honda Accord. And so at the time, the Tesla Model 3 was around that price point, the Chevy Bolt, Nissan Leaf. So... That's that price parity right there. And then depending on where you live, of course, you're eligible for different rebates and incentives mm -hmm. um, you know, that your state may have. Uh, and if you're buying a, 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 another vehicle that is eligible for that uh, federal EV credit, then that's even a, a, you know, a little bit more beneficial only if you have, of course, that tax liability. So thinking about where we are today with obviously the chip shortage has impacted um, supply chain and vehicle prices used in you have really shot up. So the average cost of a new vehicle now is, is like $42,000, which is really within the sweet spot of a lot of um, new electric, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of new electric vehicles. So there's definitely, um, I don't feel like that argument is valuable, valid anymore. Also, when you think about it, you don't have to get a new car. You can get a used vehicle. Let somebody else purchase a new car, and then you get the benefit from them taking on that upfront cost. So there's a lot, like I said, like my first used, uh, my first EV was a used uh, Nissan Leaf that was less than $10,000. 
And of course, until recently in, in many markets, you would see used Nissan Leafs from between like $6,000 and $8,000 or used e other used EV brands from $6,000, $7,000 and up. So there's definitely within like that, even that ten dollars to uh, $20,000 price point, there's a lot of mm -hmm. options. Nissan Leaf right now is running an $89 per month lease for 24 months, which is insane. It's crazy. Um, Kia Nero is running a lease uh, option for like $199 a month. So, I mean, $89, $199 is um, definitely in most people's kind of uh, wheelhouse in terms of their transportation budget. So when you factor in that, I'm not going to have to deal with fueling up my vehicle every few days or once a week or how often people uh, refuel. They're not thinking about like the maintenance and the oil changes and the tune-ups. That's not an issue anymore. Uh, so there is a whole host of reasons beyond the financial, of course, the public health benefits as well to make that transition because you really end up spending less. You know, right. when I have, um, when you think about the Nissan Leaf, for instance, or actually any EV, Typically, what you're spending money on is windshield wipers, tires, windshield wiper fluid. That's it. <laughs> you know? And depending on how you drive, you might get tires more frequently than the next person. But, you know, that's usually what your expenses are. I need to set the tires on my car right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you know. You know, you know, that's one of the things that we do tell people is like tires, um, you know, because th these cars are heavy. They got batteries are carrying around lithium. So tires is an issue. Um, but I wanted to to kind of park on that whole um, you, you mentioned a minute ago about um, the cost being really low. And, 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 and there's so many options now that are on this membership thing, right? So like we got a call at three o'clock with Canoe. Um, we're, we're, we're wanting to, you know, working with Canoe with some projects here in Dallas and they actually have a, their corporate office here in Dallas. And I'm excited about that, but they actually have, well, first off, their, their SUV kind of van thing is, lifestyle van it's like $34,000 and it's super cool 250 mile range I'm like that's cool but they actually have a membership where you can just pay a fee use the car a low fee you don't and it's not like going out and buying a car you use the car it's got all the things included the charging the maintenance all that stuff included into one fee and then you use the car and, and then our where we get into this thing is like the utilization is for me the, the thing that bugs me because we buy a car right and we drive it to work and we park it for eight hours and we drive it home and then we park it for the other eight hours that that's just not good utilization to me so my my thought is you get to these vehicles then when you're at work or whatever put them on a mobility platform let 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 someone make a few reps with that vehicle to move people right. around and then then there's a revenue sharing model involved where people can get paid but it, it is interesting now in 2018 we thought well we're going to get a tesla or we're an electric car period like i don't know now there's so many options that people really want to there's business models out there now that are designed to kind of you know really bypass the dealer and lease these cars straight from a manufacturer. I think it's pretty cool. 
Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, we're in the last stages of, you know, people actually purchasing vehicles. I think people are going to transition to that subscription model that you just spoke about. Just It's just easier. You don't have to worry about like mate. Well, with EVs, there's very little to no maintenance anyway. But you don't have to think about like, where am I going to park the car? Where am I going to do this? Um, I can use whichever car I want to use. If I want to use a Leaf today and I want to drive a Tesla tomorrow or a, a boat on Saturday, I can use that via uh, a subscription service and just not have to think about it. Beautiful. It's beautiful. We're, we're moving in that. Uh, clearly, we're moving in that direction. And, and, you know, things will change and accelerate quickly. So I wouldn't be surprised to see even more and more of those types of plans and programs popping up. Right. Well, you know, I've uh, spent about 47 minutes talking. So. Oh, no. You've spent 47 minutes driving us uh, on, uh, on a Tesla. So, <laughs> you're riding along, man. So, hey, I know we're running on time. alongside with you. <laughs> yeah, I know we're running on time. So, I mean, if you want to, we got a couple last minute thoughts and we can wrap it up. I really appreciate it. This has been great, great information. I think, uh, I think we should have another chat again and dive into some more stuff, get into some details. Absolutely. I would love a chance to come back and, you know, continue your discussion. And of course, before I go, I I have to do a couple of shameless plugs. So we have yes. our annual upcoming um, diversity, equity, and uh, e-mobility diversity, equity, and inclusion conference coming up on November 17th through the 18th. And so if you go to emobilityequityconference.com, you can find out more about it. Um, you can also follow me as Dr. Evie Shelley on LinkedIn. So just look for me there and, uh, you know, Stay tuned to all the different things that we're doing. You can see what's happening in our EV ecosystem by following me yeah. on LinkedIn. Right. One last question, but um, I did see that EV Hybrid Noir is doing something here. And uh, I saw uh, from the uh, DFW Clean Cities, I got an email and it said that they were partnering with you guys uh, for, I think, for National Drive Electric Week or something around that. I'm not sure. I did think yes. something. Yes. So actually last year we started a partnership with the uh, local chapter and we did some EV, I guess, expert EV 101 as well as some mm-hmm. EV uh, expert conversations around National Drive Electric Week. And actually this is a good segue because EV Hybrid Noir has now been added as the fourth partner, of course, Nathan fourth national partner we're joining plug in america the sierra club and the electric vehicle association to facilitate and execute national drive electric week so we're really excited to be working alongside those that those outstanding organizations to uh you know make this event a reality and to bring it to even more diverse communities that's pretty powerful Kunal, when you write this little summary, make sure you mention that because that's huge. These these organizations have been around for a while, Sierra and all those guys. To be, you know, alongside those guys helping out is beautiful. We need to talk about that. People need to know that. We need to get awareness out. And especially because of who you are as a as a female entrepreneur, it's even more, it's even great. Um, last thought, I always say this, Eunice Foot. 
she solved our problem in 1856 with her experiment on carbon and oxygen in the sun. And we've ignored her for over 100 years. So it's time for us to really pay attention to what's going on with the difference between carbon and our atmosphere. Uh, so anyway, that's all I got. Thank you. Good on. Thank you. Great Thank you. With you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, in, uh, you know, and, uh, you mentioned about uh, the awareness. You know, that's what ECARA stands for: electric, uh, electric car ride-sharing awareness. So, uh, you know, it is it is a it's privilege for me to work here and privilege for me to talk to you guys. And uh, uh, somewhere where I'm hoping to not just you know work myself through, but at the same time do something for the community. So it's a pleasure interacting with you, Dr. Shelley, and uh, thank, you for, uh, thank you for thank you for showing up for this podcast. Likewise, thank you for the invitation and the pleasant conversation, and it's just been a real pleasure. Absolutely. What city are you in? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Okay, so yeah. maybe we can uh, have coffee. I'm gonna be in Atlanta shortly. We have a group there uh, that's that's wanting to start uh, all minority-owned group that wants to start their own um, uh, rideshare mobility services there out of Hartsfield. And, oh, uh, wonderful! We wanna, we, yeah, we really yep. talk about that. These, yeah. Yes. Yes. These guys are hungry. They're they're great guys. They're all you know entrepreneurs in their own right, business people. One of the guys actually works for Amazon here locally. Uh, he, he got us the, the, the partnership with Amazon Corporate. So uh, love to help kind of foster some of that stuff in Atlanta with them. Okay, that would be a that'd great, be great. Yeah, it'd be yeah a great that'd little, be great. We need to connect with folks who are, um, you know, have overlapping interests and in working in the space. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely yeah. love to hear more about that. Opportunity and they're, they're, those guys they're, they're going to be looking for ev owners and drivers and they're going to be hiring people and you know they're, they're going to okay. be doing all that so well, we yeah, have a deep cool. uh, chapter in atlanta so um, definitely would be yeah. uh, good to connect with them and also to rock we definitely want to connect with you um, and have you participate in our upcoming conference so we'll definitely have some people on our team reaching out to you about participating in the conference probably in the next coming days next for sure get an email about that so definitely Love want to make sure that you're included in that it would be an honor it'd be an honor thank you thank you you're all right i don't want to take too much of your time you guys have a great friday great weekend and we'll catch thank up you. soon look forward to it. all right you just stay safe and Go green, keep going green. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, listen, right, we just can't yeah. stop. All we gotta do is keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah, that's right. I know. Have a good weekend. Okay, you too. Take it easy. Oh. Bye, bye bye. Bye now. Good show.